I think a lot of students cheat because they've put themselves in a panic mode where now they're at the last minute and it's like, I just need to get out of this quickly. I've, I've put myself in a bad position. How do I get out of this? Do I ask for that extension? Do I fake my grandmother's eighth death this semester? Um, do I make up somebody getting married and I can't do something? Does my car have a quote accident? Unethical behavior, resorting to unethical behavior. Poor or, grandma, yeah. she would cry if she knew that you were telling people she died. <laughs> Yeah, she's trying to get killed. <laughs> yeah. I believe way too much in karma to ever kill anybody off around me. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. Cheating in a course has long been a concern by those in education. In a longitudinal study that encompassed multiple institutions, Donald McCabe found that 69% of undergraduate students and 45% of graduate students self-reported in a survey that they cheated in a course. When you discover that one of your students has cheated on an assignment in your course, you will more than likely go through a range of emotions that includes both anger and disappointment. However, when you discover that multiple students have colluded to systematically cheat in your course, you may begin to lose faith in all of your students from that point on. Before you get angry and frustrated, we will be discussing academic integrity, student motivation for cheating, and what you can do to minimize cheating in your course. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Stephen Crawford from the Academic Innovation Team at ASU's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me in this conversation is... Jeanette Senegal, Celia Kajraitiwa. Aaron Kraft. And joining us today is our special guest... Babette Kraft. And for those who may not have noticed, she is also the wife of Aaron. And he is also my husband. Hey there. <laughs> Word. I think we should start things off by defining cheating. The most common definition of cheating is when a student acts dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage. Under that definition, we must consider acts beyond sharing answers on a test or plagiarism. What are some other actions that you would consider as cheating? I think uh, there's a lot of information available on the internet, for example. So it's easy to maybe find a video or an article that's so buried that no one's going to see it. Your instructor's never going to be able to, to find it. And you can maybe take a little more than what you should without citing or crediting the source. It's easy to do, and I would consider that cheating, if, especially if you uh, weren't giving credit where credit's due. Yeah. Googling really fast. I consider that cheating sometimes. <laughs> Googling really fast? Googling really fast. Like, ooh, let me pull out Google real fast. Uh, or if somebody it? asks a question and then somebody yeah. quickly Googles it. You don't even try to take the time to think about it yourself first. <laughs> You're going to have to unpack <laughs> that more, that. Celia. <laughs> how, how is that cheating? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> but, that, but that's a good point. You know, in a classroom, if, a, if, a, if you're asked a question. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, if I said... <laughs> Trivia night, we're sitting there trying to come up with an answer. Someone pulls out Google. Cheating. So what else? <laughs> How about students working together to complete an assignment or quiz that they were directed to do themselves alone? Ooh. Ooh. Now, aren't there shades of gray with that? No. If I mean, they're instructed yeah. to do it alone <laughs> and they're collaborating. Well, let's go back to Piaget, right? Isn't that how you say his name? Social construction of knowledge... This is how we learn. This is how we become knowledgeable is through yeah. interactions with each other. I'm going to do the anti-improv, yes, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if the assignment says do this work on your own, do your, you know, that's an unfair advantage then if you're expected to do the work on your own. 
If it's explicitly stated. Yeah. That you are to do it independently. Good practice, though, says that you should build up to being an independent learner. So at some point, you should have had a chance to work with others to construct some of that knowledge and then do it on your own. So that's kind of assuming that they had that chance. Well, let's get back to that a little bit later on here. But let's. what are some other ideas that we need to think about? What are some other things that we may not consider as cheating? What about students who are in courses that may use a commercially published textbook and they decide to go out and uh, download a copy of the publisher test banks? doesn't necessarily mean that the instructor will be using the test banks, but on the chance that they are, they have an answer key. Or using a previous exam from a course. Sure. Or even working with students who have taken the course previously, nothing has really changed. The papers are the exact same. Maybe they're not completely plagiarizing what another student has said, but maybe they've shared their paper and taken ideas from that. And I'd, I'd throw out there another one, you know, when you think about you doing lab reports or some sort of uh, assignment, you know, fabricating the data or whatever happened you know, in some cases, that may be just flat out copying another group's work. In some cases, like, well, these numbers are close enough. This is what it should be. What, what about sharing notes? Do you all consider that cheating? You know, that's a good point in the day of course hero. That is a good question because I questioned that when we first talked about this um, podcast. Because when I was, I think, a freshman, I found out that you could buy notes. And it, I had a large, you know, 100 plus student class on art history. It wasn't a major that I was, you know, focusing on. It was just a general study that I needed. And once I found out that I could buy those notes, I thought, oh, I could also sleep in a little (laughs) and still get the information. (laughs) Nobody wrote my papers, but I had those notes that I didn't actually take myself. And sometimes I use them actually as a supplement to what I had done. But yeah, I questioned whether I was cheating. That, that. That's a good gray area that I think we'll have to talk about some more. What, a, what about recycling papers across multiple courses when the intent was for them to be unique? See, now that I will uh, agree yeah. with. I'm curious yes. about this one because I, I did recently learn that, he, and I think it's the ASU policy, that a student, at least for the teacher's college, if a student has to retake a course, they're not allowed to recycle their own paper. And that blew my mind. Like, how is that? Self-plagiarism is a thing. Yeah. I'm like, really? But it's my idea. (laughs) I agree, because when I did my bachelor's studies in education and then I did my master's, some of that kind of... Bleeds over. Yeah. So I remember pulling out some of my information from my bachelor's studies to help me out with my master's information. I think the, the thing is you can't just directly copy what you did before or resubmit it. Right. You'd have to rewrite it. Maybe fold in some of what you said before mm-hmm. while citing yourself because self plagiarism <laughs> is a thing. Celia says. So, you know, and that's just in this day and age of turn it in with all these plagiarism checkers, you know, even it gets really weird. How about another one I want to throw out there? Not doing your fair share. In other words, not participating in group work. Do you guys consider that cheating? I think that's bad design on the instructor's end if that is allowed to happen without the person who's not pulling their weight being uh, what's the word? disciplined somehow. So everybody needs to be held accountable or find a way for everyone to have a role so that there is no way for somebody to just sit out and not do their share. Exactly. In my graduate program, we had group projects every semester. And what some instructors did, which I thought was very effective, was we would have uh, like a formative evaluation halfway through the project. 
we all had to grade each other and then send that into the instructor. And we didn't see what, we didn't see what, how we graded each other. I didn't know what my teammates gave me, right? But we had a list of criteria about how much we were uh, contributing and participating. And then we would do it again at the end after the project was submitted. And I think between those two uh, evaluations plus whatever messages the instructor might have gotten from an angry group member in between, the, they were able to figure out, okay, so-and-so was contributing, so-and-so wasn't contributing. Yeah, because sometimes it's subjective. Uh, some people, you know, if they're go-getters, they may view somebody being lackadaisical when they're not, when they're actually contributing. So, so it's good to have those checks and balances. You know, but when I think about students not participating, you know, it's one of the reasons why students hate group work. And it's one of the reasons why we advocate not to do group work, but to actually do teamwork um, where there's defined roles. But, you know, when you think about the student who they coast, they do just the bare minimum and the group does carries them along. I, you know, that's something I would consider, you know, in fact, a number of institutions will spell that out as cheating, though I think a lot of faculty don't think about it that way. Because again, if you go back to getting an unfair advantage, that's a good way to do it is just not do your fair share. There needs to be some sort of system of checks and balances in place so that gets reported as accurately as possible. I want to throw out another one that um, I think happens far more often than we realize, and that is the student asking for an extension on an assignment. Oh, is that cheating? I can, you know, if you're asking for extra time that other students don't get, that's an unfair advantage. Whereas once, whereas the class had maybe two weeks to do an assignment and you managed to get yourself two and a half weeks. Now, from what I've seen, instructors will often dock the student's grade, like a full letter grade, for example, if it's turned in late, but like, okay, go ahead. You got another couple days, but you're now starting at, at a B instead of an A. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. But that questions the value of the grade, though. Does it? I feel like it does, because is it actually B work or A work? But you're, but you're starting at them. a 90 instead of starting at 100. Well, you're already starting mm-hmm. at an advantage. You know, you got an yeah. additional couple of days. So then they'll they'll say, OK, well, it's late. Extra you get time to think. You get extra time to think. You get extra time to write. So you lose 10 points or something like that. And I tell you one that I don't think we see very often anymore because it's hard to do, but sabotage, flat out sabotage. This was a lot more common, especially with law schools, where oh. if you had a single resource in the library that you had to cite from, you would hide that resource so no one else could find it, so you would have an unfair advantage. Um, and I've seen that in other lab situations where certain materials were limited, and uh, so you only had access to it and others did not. So this is where Google's a good thing. <laughs> That's just evil. It, it does remind me, though, when I was working at UNM, the University of New Mexico, uh, at least once a year, students would, we assume it was students, would pull the fire alarm during finals week <laughs> in one of the buildings. It happened at least once per semester, yeah. you know, and then effectively get them out of the test, get everybody out of the test, and they had a couple extra days because mm-hmm. they had to reschedule. That is sabotage. I, I will tell you another, another one, um, and this is in a very different era than we live in today, but um, I've dealt with bomb threats from students who were looking to get a delay uh, in a uh, project assignment or an exam. Mm. Um, it, you know, the fire alarm metaphor, except they would do it remotely effectively by calling in a bomb threat and and the building gets evacuated. Um, yeah, I've seen, I've, I've seen that and been involved in that before. Describe your involvement. <laughs> <laughs> Simple, my student lab consultant took the call. 
And it was like, what do I do with this? And we sent it up to the uh, campus police. And again, this is a different error. And their response was, oh, yeah, we get these all the time. And, and this is why we get them all the time. And so they told us to go look around and see if we saw anything suspicious. And we did give them a call. And if we didn't, don't worry about it. Wow. Again, very different era than we live in today. Because <laughs> they'd clear out a five-mile radius or something crazy. <laughs> you're taking a huge risk if you're a student going that far to get out of something. I mean, you're risking your... Your career, or well, at least your education? Well, some will say a single act of cheating is risking your academic career and your chosen profession. You can, As sure. well. I'm some very clever students. You know, and, you know, you th you know I, th I saw an article last week where a student had installed a keylogger on a faculty member's laptop and managed to steal their password and got caught a year later changing grades. And the reason why they got called a year later was they went from being on probation to dean's list in one semester. <laughs> and, and when they did some checking, they discovered that there was a mismatch between what the professor had put in their grade book versus what was logged online because they had gone in and changed it after the fact. Now, fortunately, that level of hacking is extremely rare. And it, and it makes great news when it happens because it usually gets reported about every two or three years at most by one person. Um, but yeah, any sort of, you know, falsifying records, you know. Ferris Bueller did it. <laughs> we love him. <laughs> so one of the things that I, I, I think some of our listens, listeners who may be concerned about right now is they don't want to become cops who are constantly looking to bust our students for cheating. Now, doing this just causes extra anxiety for both ourselves and for our students. So before we dive into what we can do to minimize cheating, I want to highlight an article on October 6, 2017 in Inside Higher Education. Uh, they were talking about a paper by Eric uh, Anderman, and in his previous research, he'd found that the two most important factors for predicting whether a student will cheat or not is whether a professor emphasizes mastery of a topic or whether they emphasize the importance of high-stakes testing. Now, in this new paper he has, he decided it came, or he found it came down to something as simple as, did the students like the class or not? He's like, look, those two factors are important, but whether a student likes the class or not, that was more important. And so I know there's a lot to unpack there. And so let's start by thinking why students may choose to cheat in a course in the first place. I feel like that's huge. I think it does have to do a lot with how much you value the course. Is this an important course that I need? Does it really matter if I cheat? How important do I need this information? I think that's a big part of it. I think, yeah, respect when you get down to it. Respect of the course. Not of the, not of the faculty member, but of the course. I mean, you go back to my talking about how I would buy notes for a course that was just a general study. I didn't feel that it was that valuable. Did I feel like I completely cheated? No, but I mean, some would say that, yeah, you did cheat because you did buy notes. I think there is some something in that. Some correlation there. Mm -hmm. I remember the last class I took in my uh, graduate program, my program was completely online and the last class was uh, just a mess that basically the faculty who had been teaching it left. And so they were reaching out grasping at straws, trying to find someone to fill in. And they found a graduate student who's very knowledgeable in the subject and they got them in to agree to teach the course. However, this instructor didn't want to 
communicate with the instructional designer, and I know this because I was working with the instructional designers at UNM at the time, and I remember the designer just threw her hands up in the air like, there's nothing I can do. This course was in shambles from day one. The organization was not there at all. You couldn't find anything. When was, when was the assignment due? What is the assignment? You know, it, it was very frustrating, and what happened is the entire semester, so what is that, 15, 16 weeks-ish, Every other day or so, the entire uh, student body of that class would be CC'd on an email from one angry student or another, just, you know, it, it was coming every other day, just ripping the instructor, like, I can't find anything, I'm so mad, and then, or if somebody got uh, a low grade on an assignment, we'd all get CC'd again, and basically, the instructor was fielding angry emails the entire semester, and at the very end, we all, she gave us some bonus points for something very small, and so nobody failed, but she had to make that sacrifice because when we first came into that course for the first week or so, it was just awful, and that immediately dropped all of our motivation to want to be in the course, and I think we lost a lot of respect for the course itself, because she obviously, it, to us, it looked like uh, the, the instructor didn't put the time in to build the course. And if it's a gatekeeper course and you can't just drop it, it was, and go yeah. around, you've got to plow through it somehow. You're going to, quote, plow through it somehow. Mm -hmm. I had to take it to graduate. Yeah. I wonder how this perception of liking a course or not has to do with whether or not um, students think the course is difficulty, what, what the level of difficulty is and how that relates to the likability, for lack of a better word, of a course. You know, that's a question I was wondering as well, as, as I think about that, let's think about how we approach things in our own lives. We, when we're tired, we tend to do the things we like most because we like doing them. And it could be difficult and challenging, but because we like it, we may challenge it first. And, and therefore, the courses they like least are the ones they go wait and do at the last minute. And now that brings us to the next point of, you know, I think a lot of students cheat because they've put themselves in a panic mode where now they're at the last minute and it's like, I just need to get out of this quickly. I've, I've put myself in a bad position. How do I get out of this? Do I ask for that extension? Do I fake my grandmother's eighth death this semester? Um, do I make up somebody getting married and I can't do something? Does my car have a, quote, accident? Um, you know, I, and, I, and I've seen these excuses. And, and so that's something I wonder as when a student panics the courses they like the most are the ones they respect the most. They do those first, and the ones they respect the least, like the least, they do last, and therefore they're more motivated to just do whatever it takes to get through it. Unethical behavior, resorting to unethical behavior. Poor or, grandma. Yeah. She would cry if she knew that you were telling people she died. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I, she would think she was trying to get killed. Yeah. I believe way too much in karma to ever kill anybody off around me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and I'll tell you, I've, another stress I've seen in my own course that I teach is that I'll have students who I'm going to assume they, they didn't respect the course enough for various reasons. They put themselves in a position where they were behind and they get mad at me and they're, and they're like, I need this course to graduate. Yeah. As you said, this is the last class I need to graduate or more importantly in some cases is if I don't get a passing grade in this course, I will lose my financial aid. And, and then I had the student tell me, and if I lose my financial aid, I'm kicked out of school. If I'm kicked out of school, I'm kicked out of my house by my parents. And so they load all this emotion onto the faculty member to force them to do something to give them essentially an unfair advantage that the other students didn't have. 
They're creating a sense of entitlement, which is an article yeah. that I read recently. Is is so? Can you explain that, Celia? How did they feel entitled because they put themselves in a difficult situation, or because they're seeing their situation as being on top of others? Uh-huh. And so it gives them a sense of entitlement, like, because I'm going through this, you should be adjusting uh, things for me. Yeah, that's interesting, because yeah, it sounds like, it, in what you're describing, Stephen, right, like, clearly in this scenario, it's their fault, because their fault, how do they get to the point where they were going to get kicked out based on a single grade? How, how do they get to the point where their parents were going to throw them yeah. out based on a single grade? And then You don't just arrive at that Yeah, you point. don't. You're just not yeah. suddenly You've there. You've probably been on probation for a couple of semesters, <laughs> and you're writing that line, yeah. yeah. And now you're at the at the finish line now of the, problems. that point, and then, yeah. So from their perspective, they're like, no, I'm the victim here. But then the article saying, no, no, you're you're actually behaving entitled and putting yourself above other people who did their job to get to this point, right? It creates some cognitive dissonance there between like the locus of control. The students say, something's happening to me. And the faculty member may be saying, well, you need to be responsible for dot, 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 and control your behavior, dot, 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 or whatever the case may be. And that's a great point. You know, when I think about McCluskey's theorem of power, you know, we talk about that in an economic situation, but it also applies here because if a student feels powerless, they're going to lash out and they're going to try to manipulate the situation and they're going to deal with it the best way they can. Um, and I think a lot of times we put a lot of families put a lot of social pressure on, on our students. Um, I had a neighbor who, when he was supposed to be getting close to graduating from his institution as an engineering student, his parents finally got around to asking, hey, shouldn't we be hearing about graduation soon? Because he's been feeding him a line for a couple of years. And finally he said, well, no, because I flunked out. He spent his entire high school career being told, oh, you're good at math and science, therefore you're gonna be a good engineer. So he was kind of pigeonholed into being something that he didn't want to be. And I had a student worker for me once who she was in that same situation. She was pigeonholed into a major that she didn't like. And in his case, he ended up going to a different university and he ended up getting his, getting a business degree. And that was the best thing for him ever. He has been so happy since then. Going back to the student worker I had, she ended up going from engineering, electrical engineering, to um, to art. And she was doing a uh, an art degree of some sort, I think graphic arts. And after a semester of doing that, realized, you know what? I don't like graphic arts as much as I thought I did. And electrical engineering was kind of cool. And now she's a very happy professional um, engineer, you know, working you know, in that field. And she's very happy with that. And I think the biggest choice for, thing for her was it was choice. She chose to be that for the first time. And I think some of our students are told, you're going to be a good X. And therefore, they're told their entire life or a good chunk of their life that you need to go do this. And they don't have any other identity that, other than that. And it wasn't the one they chose for themselves or they never had the chance to really believe that that's who they were. So it sounds like a couple of reasons students cheat, several, right? So fear of failure seems to be this big one. And that goes towards your Stephen where they're like, I flunked out and I didn't want to admit to my family because they put so much pressure on me succeeding. Um, and then also it sounds like revenge cheating where you <laughs> hate the course so much that you just... I just want to get through it. The, the <laughs> anger, just make this go away. I call it the make it go away cheating. <laughs> make it just, just end it now. And, and I think some of our students put themselves in a the position where they cheated in a course. And after they got through it, it's like, what do I do now? Well, they don't have the knowledge they need to, to be where they are. 
So now they have no choice but to cheat at the next level because they didn't learn what they needed to. I mean, and that's where you get the stories of the shadow dissertations where people have professionals write their dissertations for them and get away with it, unfortunately. You become a serial cheater. Exactly. I don't think I don't think students that's a great point. I don't think students intend to be serial cheaters, but they accidentally become them. So let's let's shift the gears a little bit and let's talk about some approaches we can take to improving our courses that may help reduce those motivations we've identified for cheating. So what are some things you guys can think of? Well, I think what I was alluding to earlier is if you're teaching online, my background is on in online education, so that's sort of my bias, but have your course together from day one, or at least make it look that way. Like if you're still building it out, that's fine, but at least have your week one or week two ready to go, have a solid syllabus, have everything that the students can access, not only be organized and well fleshed out, but have it look kind of nice, you know, put a little polish on it. That will work wonders and you'll be glad you did in the end. I think reviewing the course after the course is completed and not reusing every single bit of that course down to the T and finding ways to tweak it so that student A who took it in fall A versus student B who took it in fall B see the exact same thing. There's always room for growth. So there's always a way to to tweak something and make it whether it's better or just, you know, a little different in some way. I think I'd talk about a little bit of a different intervention, perhaps. I don't know what the evidence base is around it, but anecdotally, a lot of faculty talk about how they might be transparent. And it's not just about putting the university's policies and the the wrath of whatever may happen if they, they infringe upon them, but rather to communicate some of this very information. Talk about where are their motivations, where are their pitfalls for cheating, and to have an honest discussion, you know, at the beginning of the semester or whatever the case may be, um, to to front load strategies for them to be successful, to help arm them with resources that are beyond just saying, go talk to your advisor if you're struggling or whatever, but really to get at the heart of, of preventing the need to, to engage in that behavior at all. I like that you say that because... That made me think about, you know, how many courses make students go through safe assign or turn it in and how many of those students have had conversations with their faculty about why they're doing that. I feel like sometimes a student could take the idea of, well, I'm just automatically assumed that I'm going to cheat. So I have to turn it into the or go through these methods before I can turn in a paper. You're but how like about a having, yeah, yeah. you're, you're mm-hmm. proven guilty before... <laughs> What, what's yeah, the saying? Uh, yeah. The assumption is you're guilty. <laughs> guilty until proven yes, innocent. Yes, you. you guilty until proven innocent. That's the term. Um, but I feel like developing those conversations early on with those, with your students in every course would help alleviate some of the, the student wanting to cheat or even making those attempts. Yeah, I, I like both of those. I would, I would piggy off of what Jeanette's saying, what Celia's saying, like, sort of measuring the the difficulty level like if you're getting reviews about it being difficult is it actually difficult because of the content is complex or are you adding things like i as an undergrad i had an instructor who wouldn't even review your paper if it wasn't pristine grammar it was like a little bit ridiculous <laughs> like when the content's there you have you know very intelligent students i work. took that class yeah. and i got an incomplete because i just 
gave up. And I would, I it, it probably sounds like cheating, but I would have to go have a friend whose grammar was better and review it for me. And then we were talking weeks in advance so, to make it through. So is it actually you're making it harder on the students because you have these standards or is the content the most important thing? I don't, I don't have a problem with the standards, but explain to me why. And I think this kind of starts encompassing a little bit of what everybody was saying. For me, that course design Tell me why I'm reading this chapter and tell me what I should think about while I'm reading it. Because that would prime me for the next assignment. That way, when I'm reading it, I know what I'm getting ready for. Tell me why I'm doing this. Have your content, have your assignments actually align with your course, course learning objectives. I think alignment is a very important thing. Explain to me the policies, why we're doing this, what, what is the point of this? Are we doing safe assign because you think I may be cheating or are you doing it as a teaching tool to make me a better writer? And I think there is a way to, to, to couch using these plagiarism checkers as, hey, look, this is, this is about making you a better writer. It's not about me trying to, to catch you doing something nefarious. The number of assignments we have in courses Let's be efficient in them. One of my biggest complaints of online learning is that when I see something cool, I can add it to my course. And when I see something cool, I can add it to my course. And when I see something cool, I can add it to my course. Meanwhile, nothing has dropped out of my course, and so the workload has just increased, increased, and increased. Whereas in a face-to-face -face course, anything I add, I run out of time sooner or later in that class session, and I make a decision, either catch up on your own, or I'll help do this in the next session, but something gets cut sooner or later because you're out of physical time. Uh, so that's something that I think keeping that thing, keeping things aligned, and, and I always like the, the phrase precise and concise. If your goal is to scaffold a student up to a specific level of a learning objective, then scaffold them up and explain to them, we're doing this and this is what we're building towards. That way the student understands what's going on and maybe they can appreciate the design and what the plan is of the course and that way it's not just busy work. And I think that's the thing right here, oh, it's just busy work, so who cares? And we've seen on these self-knowledge check quizzes where students won't even bother taking them. They'll just blast through a bunch of answers, find the right answers, and then put them in on the second time. And it's like, then what was the point? It was a self-check, it was supposed to be no big deal. Yeah, from a design perspective also, I would say that acknowledging that not every curriculum, every course is suitable, but when you can integrate um, project-based learning or, or non-test-based assessments, that can be helpful. It, it's not bulletproof, but I think about it in terms of being able to observe and assess the students' processes as well as their products. Well, and your comment on problem-based learning goes back to that first bit of the findings was, you know, his original premise was that master was more important than test taking. And I think that really helps emphasize that. Right. So you create a product. You have the students create a product. You have them create some sort of learning artifact or learning intervention. Well, I guess an artifact in this case. That in, in, When they do that, they actually involve themselves. They have agency with something. They get to show you what they know. They take the content that you're giving them and they create something with it. And I think you're sort of proud of that, right? Why would you cheat? You're, you're actually displaying who you are and what you can do. Going back to how we're sort of an individual-centered culture here in the in the West, uh, you know, th these are things that really appeal to us. So you're giving the student agency, and all of a sudden they don't want to cheat. They actually want to make the best darn product they can and impress you with it. Yeah, and you know, and you think about what we have to deal with here in the College of Nursing and Health Innovation. A lot of our undergraduate students, they were high-achieving students to get into this program. I mean, their GPAs were 
well close to 4.0, if not at 4.0. And, and that's on a four-point scale, of course. And so those students aren't used to getting anything less than an A or maybe the occasional B. And then they come into here and now they're they're being challenged at a higher level than they may have ever been before. And now they're trying to fight to keep their status. And then we have a bunch of exams because we culminate into an NCLEX exam that will decide if you are a nurse or not, if you can practice or not. So it's we have a very difficult challenge on that. But yet, at the same time, we have the clinical practice. Well, an NCLEX is basically a multiple choice yeah. exam, right? In a highly secure test environment. And <laughs> yeah, where everyone feels like they're a prisoner in a little box taking an exam <laughs> with cameras staring at them. A little kind of oxymoron here and what we're talking about and what how this... They, how things end. Well, it begs, uh, it, it, you can't say beg the question, but it, you want to ask the question, am, is the student actually demonstrating competency or mastery by by filling in A, B, C, or D, right? But that's that's a bigger discussion. That's, I get that. Yeah, much bigger. Yeah, yeah so when I think you, that's where our program is unique because they do have to show that practicality and be able to show that that knowledge and experience. And they do with their with some of their courses, but then they also have the courses where everything is is exam based. We got they some courses that, that are pure balance. lab, pure mm -hmm. working with patients and demonstrating the skills, whereas the yes. others are paper based. You can't cheat if you're actually demonstrating. I would never skills. say can't, but I would say it's extremely right. difficult. You're it's right. difficult. But it's a lot harder if someone's watching you and you're physically having to go through the motions of drawing blood from a patient, for example, then it, you know, simply you could just guess A, B, C, or D and you have a 25% chance of getting it right. Oh, I bet you I could coach you off camera from the, in the simulation lab trying to guide you where to put things. I need that orange. Yeah, the orange. <laughs> just, I saw somebody do this. <laughs> I saw it once. I, I gave plasma once. I know I do. I, I get blood draws all the time. I think I know all the motions of <laughs> where to stick. And <laughs> so are there any other design ideas you guys have that maybe faculty could implement to help make their courses, you know, I don't want to say cheat proof, but more, more you know, make it so that students don't want to cheat to kind of help motivate them to do the right thing? Yeah, if you're using uh, like a, a computer-based test environment, multiple choice type test, uh, make, make sure that your questions are locked down. Um, be very careful about your post-exam review sessions. Uh, so for example, you keep the test open so the students can view their uh, results and feedback after the exam is complete. That's fine, except if students decide to leave the class and not join the review session, for example, those students can walk out of the classroom, access the, the questions, take a quick screen cap, and sell them. I mean, that's a worst case scenario, and hopefully they're not doing that, but that is a possibility. And these are high stakes tests, so you really got to be careful. So talk to your instructional designer and ask <laughs> them how you can secure your test questions. And I would add, explain that we're doing computer-based testing, not because we don't trust you, but because we're trying to prepare you for what you're going to do for the NCLEX to get you used to that environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Going for the effective domain there. There we go. <laughs> Purpose. We care. So... <laughs> In an October 21st, 2017 Chronicle of Higher Education article called They Once Cheated in Class, Now They Teach, educators described an embarrassing point in their academic career and described the situation that led them to commit an act of cheating. They told stories of pressures to graduate, helping friends in order to increase their social status, and as a way to cope with a school-life-work imbalance. So in the spirit of this article, I would like to shift our discussion, and I want us to think back to our time as a K-12 or undergraduate student and describe a time where we cheated on an assignment. 
So who would like to start off a round of true confessions and share a time where you may have cheated in a course? I cheated there. <laughs> I knew it. So much better. <laughs> Third grade. Spelling test. Octopus. <laughs> I needed that word. Why? Why was it so important? I was a naturally gifted speller, <laughs> but that word was throwing me off. It was driving me crazy. So I took a peek in my desk. It was an O, not an A. <laughs> Octa, octo. Yes. Oh, I gotta say, Suli, I think that, that was a haiku. Thank you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that went on your permanent record, by the way. Yes. It did make me feel extremely did, did, nervous. Did and you get I caught? I did have high anxiety. No, I didn't get caught. No. But you maintained your A's all the way across. <laughs> yeah. But, but obviously, now, can you spell octopus today? I'm not going to ask you to. I can spell octopus today. I still know the word that took me out of the district spelling bee. What was that? Martyr. <laughs> Darn why. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So who else wants to go? Jeanette, you want to go? Yes, I, I would. <laughs> However, a clarifying question. You specified K-12 or undergraduate. Can I not tell a deep, dark story okay. from a graduate course? Ooh. All right, we'll do graduate. All right, I'm going for it. So in a fully online course, um, and back to your, your framing here as a way to cope with school life, work, and balance, I had a toddler, I was working full time, I had recently lost a parent, and I was losing my mind, and I was doing most of my work in like the middle of the night. So there was this course, and part of the project was to develop a website page by page, and the actual deliverable each week was a hyperlink. So as long as you turned in the hyperlink on time, you met the criteria. However, sometimes you could work the system a little bit and not actually fill in the content on the page <laughs> where the deliverable was a hyperlink until you had more time the following day or whatever. But you still did it. You didn't copy anybody else's. But I you did. had an extra yeah. time. But you took extra I did, time. But I took advantage of giving advantage. extra time. It's more like a loophole. And I've seen and I've seen where students have submitted uh, corrupted corrupted files and then when they got asked to submit the real one, they've had time to actually do the file. Oh. Can I say that though? That lends itself to Part of an intervention being think like the student when you're building the course. What is the student seeing? What is the student thinking? And what do you think they might find? Or how Ooh. might they find a loophole into cheating? Yeah. Or and just, and just build a good, good design to account for it. Yes. Yep. All right. Who's next? Everyone's looking at me, yeah, so I yeah. guess I'm next. <laughs> oh, we Have know you story? I'm like, is this a secret? <laughs> All right, so I'm not even sure if this is cheating, right? But um, I'll let y'all decide. How's that? Based okay. off of this whole podcast, I think anything we've said we don't think is cheating has been cheating so far. <laughs> don't interrupt me. <laughs> uh, no, you, yes. Uh, so I went to the Arts Magnet High School in Dallas. I studied jazz performance. And there was, when I was a... a uh, I started as a sophomore. This guy was a senior. His name was Sean Martin. Amazing keyboardist. He actually has some albums out now. Brilliant stuff. Uh, S-H-A-U-N Martin. If anybody wants to go check him out, um, I highly recommend his work. So 
Anyways, I eventually graduated and went to the University of North Texas, which is a very popular school for music, particularly jazz. And it was conveniently located about, you know, half hour up the road from my high school. So, hey, why not? Right. So I went up there for uh, a few semesters studying jazz. And one of the classes we had to take was it was uh, listening. So you had to be able to identify uh like musical intervals. So the instructor would play on a piano, a chord or two different notes, and you'd have to identify what the interval was. Music majors will know what I'm talking about. And so I was, I studied bass guitar. If you understand bass at all, it's one, it's mostly one note at a time. So my listening skills for uh, chords and intervals wasn't as strong as I would hope, right? Um, so anyways, to bring this around, I'm sitting, taking the test, and I realized, because it, it was stadium seating, Sean Martin is sitting like three chairs down from me. He decided to go back to school to get his degree, and he was in this class, which was so beneath him, and it was so challenging for me, right? So the instructor plays a note, or you know, an interval, and Sean just starts saying it out loud. Like, he's like, oh, that's a major seven. And I was like, well, if he's going to just say it out loud, I guess I'll just... <laughs> <laughs> and I aced that test, but you know, I didn't look for that opportunity. I didn't even know it was him until right before the, the exam began. And I was like, oh wow, there's Sean Martin. I, you know, starstruck for the moment. So that's my story. Is it cheating? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. But it's, the consensus is yes. I, I say you're a victim of circumstance. Thank, <laughs> thank you, wife. Oh, they're married. <laughs> <laughs> Might be another one of those loopholes there. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I mean, if you're going to shout out the answers, I'm going to, you know. I can't tell them to shut up. Come on. Well, it's kind of like, you know, doing the chemistry test on the periodic table and the whole table's on the wall Basically. that the instructor forgot to cover up. <laughs> but still, you know. <laughs> the people who were further away on the other side of the classroom didn't have that advantage. They didn't have that advantage. They didn't. It was circumstantial. I <laughs> did not well, plan any of that. And they didn't have the advantage of knowing that was Sean Martin. And so, you know, even if they heard him, they'd be like, who's this crazy the guy? The real question is, did you try to sit next to him in the next exam? <laughs> I never saw him again after that. I think he actually went on tour with somebody and just mm. dropped out of school. So. <laughs> But he helped you pass. <laughs> he helped me greatly on that exam. Yeah, it, actually, I should just clarify. It wasn't intervals. It was chords. It was stuff with chords, just so the musicians out there know. I, I, can, I can tell an interval. But <laughs> just throw so, it out there. Oh, so yeah. what's your story? So my story is high school. Yeah, uh, I cheated regularly pretty much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I did not even um, know this. So uh, I, I was in a special program. I was in it. We were in a magnet program, so it was like nested within. So it was project based right but I actually had my best friend um, and so we would trade because she was great at math and I was great at writing so then she would do my assignments and I would just review them enough to be able to pass the test like I could pass the test but I just didn't want to do the work I hate math so and then I would write her papers and that's how we graduated high school wow <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but but I will I will, you know, clarify that by the time I got to college and had to pay for my school <laughs> I didn't cheat. I can verify she writes her own papers. I do write my own papers now. <laughs> but yeah, that was regular. Yeah. So so in my case, um I was a computer science major as an undergrad and they you know, one of the things that you do in computer science is you write a lot of programs. And so a lot of times in fact 
we were talking about you know the the self plagiarism earlier and how that's not allowed in many programs. In computer science, the idea is once you write a, a, a block of code, you never write it again. So if you have an assignment in one class where you're writing a print routine and you need a print routine in another class, just go get the piece of code you wrote last time and just copy it into the program and keep going from there. Um, so with that in mind, you know. The thing about code, a lot the way people cheat a lot of times in a computer science type course is they just copy someone else's code straight up and don't change anything. And you get caught by looking at the variable names or the comments, and that's what gets you in trouble. So I don't know if I would consider this cheating or not, but frankly, for the part of this conversation, I will. Um, you know, often I would show my code to somebody else who is struggling. And they would look at my code and they would probably copy parts of it where they copied it letter by letter. I don't know. Um, and I would look at somebody else's code if I got stuck and goes like, how did you solve this problem? And I would potentially copy a couple of lines of code to get around it as well. Um, you know, and it's one of those things you think about as sharing. You didn't wholesale copy everything, but, you know, you got to a stuck point and you're like, I, I, I got to pass this class to graduate. And. I've been working through this and I'm tired and I'm over it. And so maybe, you know, in the hours before it's due, it's like, okay, how the heck did you solve this problem? You know, and you would help out. Yeah, this is contextual because you can click F12 in a Chrome tab, Google Chrome tab, and inspect element and see all the code on a page. Yeah. That's how I've solved a lot of my... We didn't have that back then. And, oh. we're, talk and we're talking like actual computer code, not HTML. We're talking, oh, okay. we're talking actual, yourself. you know, we're writing an operating system type mm -hmm. code. Okay. So, or we're writing our own database. Was that prohibited within the terms of your your coursework? You know, that's a good question. And I don't recall. I mean, obviously copying somebody else's program straight up is definitely prohibited, but the question, you know, the question is how much of how much copying is allowed versus how much is not is a good question. Yeah, because you're really in that sense, you're you're phrasing, right? You're borrowing these yeah. phrases and then how much is But you're it? phrasing somebody else's work who's turning yeah. in the exact same assignment at the exact same time <laughs> as you are. So it's it's a weird spot. It's a weird spot. So as you can see from these confessions, no one is perfect and we all make mistakes when we are in a panic to maintain our status. I hope you do not think less of us for these flaws. I would like to thank Jeanette, Celia, Aaron, and Babette for joining us. Also, thank you, Ricardo, for ensuring the integrity of this podcast but not cheating and using things like auto tune. I would also like to challenge you, the listener, to think about the students in your courses and consider how your course design may impact them and their motivation to cheat. To close, I want to quote famed astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who tweeted, When students cheat on exams, it's because our school system values grades more than students value learning. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as an in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Make me sound like Beyonce, Ricardo. <laughs> you sound like Bay. I don't tune this. <laughs>